to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something, as myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, continue to work through every match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher that we've been able to find to watch ourselves, to assess, to put into context, and to see whether we would give it five stars or not ourselves. Uh, we're still with New Japan, where we were beforehand, but that was New Japan in uh, foreign soil, so we're getting part of the usual New Japan back with a match on Japanese soil, the hallowed Sumo Hall. Um, I, I can't remember the proper name for it. Ryokoku? Or something like that? Anyway. I, yeah, go on. Yeah, let's say that. Um, But it's still not entirely New Japan in Japan involving Japan. What are we covering today, Simon? Well, it's time to go Gaga for the Gaijins, as it's Marty Skull taking on Will Ospreay. Time to go Barmy a... for the Brits. Way in an all-English affair. It's British a... steel on display. Oh. I believe it's the first and maybe only match that we've got at this time of recording that is purely British to be given five stars by Dave Meltzer. I might be wrong. Now, on our, on the official list, that is correct. Obviously, we have pitched an all-British alternate. Mm. Um, but, yeah. you know. With the recent Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate debate. Um, but, no, this is the first and only so far all-British affair to get five stars from Dave Meltzer. And it's also interesting... The other one being John... Sorry, the, uh, he did give John Major and Edwina Curry four and three quarter stars, but um, just didn't quite get to the full five, that one. Oh, God, don't... Try not to sting anyone with that satire. <laughs> send that joke into 1993 spitting image. <laughs> when I was two. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so what we're talking about, so what I was going to say is that what's interesting with this one is that they've taken, New Japan have taken stories from their British exploits and carried it over into New Japan, which is something they're sometimes reluctant to do. Apparently one of the reasons that until very recently we hadn't seen much involving the Golden Lovers was because they weren't really that keen to carry over a storyline that had been made and, and taken up to that point in a different promotion in DDT. But with this one, they've been emphasising that Marty Skrull basically has Osprey's number. That Osprey, whilst he did win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship back at uh, Wrestle Kingdom of that year of 2018 in a match involving Marty Skrull, in a one-on-one context, he's never beaten Marty Skrull, and that Marty Skrull not only has beaten him every time in a singles match, he's won multiple championships from Will Osprey in those uh, in the number of those singles matches. I think they put it that he won the Progress Championship from him. He won the Ring of Honor Television Championship from him, and he also won the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title from him about six months earlier, setting up that uh, Wrestle Kingdom four-way match. So, so far, in every day, in every way, in every place, he's got his number. I guess so, and that is really the structure of this story. That At the end of the match, Don Callis implies that it's like the... the uh, the amount of hits was like 90-10 in Skrull's favour. And it wasn't that far. But it was definitely a case of Skrull just battering Osprey for long periods. And Osprey really having to 
fight from underneath, which isn't an easy thing when you look at the Ospreys like six foot one, clearly a much better athlete than not just Skrull but pretty much everyone in wrestling, and um, and is younger, whereas Marty Skrull's about five foot seven, um, and not as impressive a physique or anything like that. But it's just they twelve. But he bullies Osprey pretty much through the whole match. Yeah, they do try and sell Skrull as a more technically gifted man on the ground. And he's just basically just trying to clip the wings of the aerial assassin throughout. You know, um, like you can just tell from like the very early exchanges um, where it, Marty's just like applying um, like shot like... Um, Chicken, he goes for his chicken wing early doors. He's got like a headlock in early doors. He he seems to be able to match Will whenever Will tries to counter his holds. You know, he's, he's in, the ground is his zone. That's where he's comfortable, it seems. Yeah. And also Marty Skrull does do that, what he essentially popularised and then was has become more of a thing, I guess, you associate with Pete Dunne, which is the sort of joint manipulation and the unusual targets. Like, at one point, I think he grabs Will Ospreay by the nose, doesn't he? Or Yeah, he does that twice, yeah. the nose look, in the match, at least. So, again, it's almost like that playground bullying situation, uh, but in a wrestling match. And uh, Ospreay... Yeah. Now, what do you... Uh, Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, there is, like, that child, like, that evil child, like, nature to it, but it just come across... across with a lot of British wrestlers where it just seems like we ironically have less nobility than our American counterparts when it comes to professional wrestling. Like that's, that stuff's like considered more taboo in their eyes, like more like ungentlemanly. It's it's illegal. Essentially. It's always been, that was funny when we were watching the Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate match, Nigel McGuinness does point out that joint manipulation is technically is illegal. It's like doing a close face, like doing a close fist for a punch. It just, I guess, doesn't get regulated anymore. Now Pete Dunne basically makes it his raison d'etre as time's gone on. Uh, well, if no one's going to call call it, it's it's not illegal. You know what I mean? Mm. But, but yeah, it's like um, I think Marty Skrull is very good at being very vicious throughout this match. But what did you think of Osprey's selling? A lot of the time, he's selling the neck when he makes a big comeback. He's sort of clutching his neck the whole time uh, in the uh, in not the relatively early stage, but around the midway points. I liked it. Um, you don't think he kind of goes it, over the top at times? A little, yes. I, I wouldn't say he's the most nuanced of sellers, but what I liked about it is it gave a it gave an Osprey match a different pace. Um, I mean, it's not really fair as a comparison. Uh, some of the matches we've seen in here, where one of them was everyone brings a toy uh, to school day. I keep saying it with the PWG stuff, but what? As I say, he he just wasn't zipping around all the time, and that that's that made him do different things. That made the match go into different places than what you would, yes. if you were like to say will, type Will Osprey into like YouTube, you would see like flips and stuff yeah. as like yeah. the first search result. You wouldn't see this, but this is that that's what that's what makes this a good thing. Mm. You see what I mean? I Whereas I, I take your point because he does ham it a little. Well, the one that's really egregious... Well, I don't know if it's egregious or not. Maybe it's a new way of doing it. But there's a moment when Osprey tries to skin the cats. Yeah. And Skrull catches him. And I'm not quite sure how he does this now, because it's been a few days since I watched it. But my note is that he turns it into a tombstone pile driver on the outside. Oh, yes. 
Yes. And at that point, I made a note that Will Ospreay is making a squealing sound. <laughs> like when you're, yeah, like when a gerbil falls off the top of the cage or something like that. Mm. Not saying you should chuck, um, you should give her gerbils the mankind treatment, but you know, everyone's heard sounds like that. So yeah, I guess one of the matches this is most reminiscent of is the Shibata. Okada match in that one person is trying to dismantle the other guy and they're desperately trying to stay in it. Yeah. This is a different way to it because it's like the guy that just knows that he's the bet like he's the better man, has always been the better man. And maybe there's like a psychological factor. Whereas with the Shibata match it was more he was trying to prove a point to Okada who just dismissed him. He had a chip on his shoulder, did yeah. Shibata. The idea of this is that like Skirl is in Osprey's head and maybe Osprey either makes mistakes or he just is owned by, like, Skrull knows everything he's going to do before Skrull knows it at times. Like, Osprey, Skrull knows everything Osprey's going to do before Osprey knows it at times. Like, he constantly catches him when he's going for os cutters. Yeah. And you look at the first third of the match as well. Like, he's, he's got his number, you know, the confidence grows in this. I mean, he gets to get him in a torture rack. He gets to apply the gory special to him. You know, he's in the zone. He's feeling like, right now, I, I am putting a hurting on this man. And like I, I mean, I, you, you just feel like the stars are aligning once again. Like this is just what's going to happen. It's almost predetermined, in the sense of it's happened so many times before. It's like yeah, muscle memory esque. Yeah, yeah. There's something in that. And like I say, also when either Osprey gets his fingers caught or whatever, he automatically not only sells the pain, but he sells the fear. Mm. Like he he knows what's going to happen, and there's nothing he can do to stop it. Yeah. And again, it's that again. It's like that school bully situation. Yeah, I do like uh, the way when Osprey sells the neck is when he's trying to like come back, but it like it it stops him from stringing stuff together. The frustration with he sells with that, if you see what I mean. The yeah. fact it's so annoyed he can't string something together because he knows the value of stringing something against again together against a man who he's got a garbage record against and on a grand stage like this mm. as well. So that I like that part of the selling that Osprey does as well. It's it's a great storytelling method just to emphasize the stuff that's brought them to this point. So let's talk about the scary bumps because I think it was around this time that Dave Meltzer famously <laughs> said He's so much like the Dynamite Kid, and we're going to have to enjoy Osprey whilst we have him because he's not going to be around for long with the way he's going. Yeah. And there's one move that's like an intentional bump that is really nasty, where uh, he lands like with his neck on the apron when uh, at one point when Skrull sort of throws him to the outside uh, when he tries for an Oz cutter. Oh yes, yes. But then later yep. on, when Osprey hits a Spanish fly off the apron. Oh. And he clips his head on the on the corner of the mat, on the corner of the apron. Oh, right on the edge. And the blood, yeah. straight away. But it's also just, you see where his neck's going. There was a very similar bump this year when uh, Naito did a German suplex to Ibushi on the outside. And again, it looked like Ibushi was supposed to do like a 360 flip over and land on his front, which would actually be relatively safe for him, you'd hope. Um, but unfortunately, he, clap, he clips his head on the back of his head on the apron when he's trying to do the somersault and his neck just seems it looked like he broke his neck in that moment. Jesus. Anything with a bushy just you just 
Well, this is the problem, Panic, the, don't you? you know, with the popularity and with Osprey and with the popularity of Apron Bumps. And again, the problem is not only is it super dangerous, but now because so many people do it, it even loses its excitement. Like the I, you know, like are you the, calling the, it twenty nineteen's Tope? Well, yeah. And the funny thing with that, I thought that when Cesaro did that Tope to Sheamus, yeah, against the barrier, and it looked like he'd broken his neck. I honestly thought that was going to slow everyone down, but it hasn't really. No. Um, one thing I don't, I really don't want to date it, but there's a really great example of, I think topes have gone too far is, uh, recently on AEW dynamite minor spoilers. Um, it won't mean minor spoilers at the time this comes out. So. By the time this comes out, it might be for you. I don't know how, uh, I think it's how, but in the, um, Philadelphia street fight between, uh, Darby Allen and Chris Jericho. There's a bit where Chris Jericho uh, tapes Darby Allen's hands behind his back. Uh, and then Darby Allen, after that point, does... Granted, he does uh, turn it into more of a role than like a relying on the guy catching him. But he does a tope with his hands tied behind his back. Mm. And I just got so frightened at that point. Because it's like all manner of things could fuck up there. I've seen him do that before. <laughs> I think he did it in an indie match against John Moxley as well. Oh, okay. That does explain why he seems so confident doing it. Yeah, it is one of his trademark moves. And to be fair, it's Darby Allen. He is an incredible athlete. Yes. But, um, yeah, so... when So, but at that point, the problem is that Skirl's supposed to be the one in trouble at that stage. Yeah. So that Will Ospreay immediately, like, he gets back in the ring and Skirl barely gets in at 19. And Ospreay's finally got an opening and he hits him with, like, a... A Phoenix shooting star press, which is just insane, you know, and he's finally able to pick up the pace to, to what suits him. Yeah. But again, like, um, then we get the traditional finishing straight of the exchanging of, you know, the quick changes of who's in control and then both hitting surprise moves on the other one when they think they're in trouble. Um, the, uh, the struggle when, um, Osprey was in the chicken wing and he sort of managed to like escape, hit the Oscar and then just simply cannot get to the other side of the ring to uh, mm. get the cover on. That was a lot nice little bit of like, just you know, when they're just absolutely throwing everything at the wall and it's taking a massive toll on them. That, that was just a great little clip mm. of that. I love those moments where it's just, they just collapse in a heap. Do you think that, Coming towards the finishing straight as well, it feels like there's a point where the match should have been stopped logically, where where um, he goes for the chicken wing. Um, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, he gets the fingers from Will Ospreay, snaps them, hits a super kick, and then just starts stomping on his head, and Ospreay is showing no resistance. Yeah. At that point, that's a stoppage. Yeah, I well to be honest, the moment it didn't get stopped and uh, Will makes the ropes to break it up, I I, I I have written in my notes that the finish to this is a bit somewhat telegraphed because after that point you're like, well Will's going to win this. Yeah, I think that's the problem now. Um, in general, like everyone has to hit a finisher, even if they don't win, they have to hit their finisher. But the story should be that you don't get it. Otherwise, you would have won it. You know what I mean? Like, yes. even matches that don't necessarily need that on the indie scene, you know, or, or in the WWE, actually, to be fair, because I like watched and I was remembering, like, in the first round of the AEW tag team tournaments and uh, best friends hit, like, a doomsday knee to the face and that doesn't win it for them. And it's just yeah. like, 
You should. I, I assume that's their finisher. That you should have just not been able to hit it. You know, the Legion of Doom don't hit the Doomsday device when they win. You know. Yeah. Well, it's like um, Private Party versus Young Bucks to yeah. pinch the same tournament. They don't get to hit the Meltzer driver. That sort of protects the Meltzer yeah. driver. Finisher protection is something that should be practiced more. Yeah. Like. I, I'm not saying go back to the old days where a DDT could be a viable finish, although you know what I mean. Like it's the classic, still done. Like it's still the one, done. The one winged angel. Yeah, it's not done enough. And you know, obviously, what was it that Seth Rollins hit Bray Wyatt with in their Hell in a Cell match? Like eleven stomps or something like that. We don't talk about that, but yes, you know, and he kicked out like one. Oh, just because that's why. Then I don't like this finisher. Because it's just he hits him with an os cutter out of nowhere and he gets a three. And it just feels like, because there's been so much, to me, the story of this match has been so much Will trying to exorcise this demon of Marty Skrull. And maybe they're going to do it in a later match, but I feel like if you're going to do it and this is the one where he finally breaks it, breaks the yeah. streak essentially, it needs to be more than just a flat, like one step beyond a, a like a, a, a flash. Oscutter, Especially you know, after flash, like like one step above a flash inside cradle finish or something like that, which is just him surprising him with an RKO out of nowhere, essentially. Yeah, uh, it should have been like how will you know Marty Skrull was just dismantling him and just brutally beating him for most of this match. It should have been that Will Osprey just reversed everything Marty Skrull hit him with, and then yeah. he destroyed him. You know, like he did a brief bit of that, like multiple stomps and like. He's willing Marty to get up, and when he gets up, he hits him with the os cutter. Then you know. Yeah, yeah, and I get I, where I you're coming they, from. I can get why they think they were doing it well with this, but I don't think that was the finish. I don't feel like this was the finish that best suited the story that I thought this match was telling. But maybe that's yeah, my I, misinterpretation. The thing I'd like to point out with it is, you had a moment to have like the glassy-eyed selling that you referred to when we talked about Cagano Elmas after the head stomps, but they just didn't even seem to do that. It just devalued it, you know. Well, like, you know, I don't, I don't know about that, but it's like the blood made more of a statement with that, even though it was unintentional. Well, yeah, but that's the point. Well, you know what something, I mean? I something... feel like it should have been Osprey hitting with a succession of moves. That yeah, Marty Skull in this match because so much of it had been about Marty Skull controlling large portions of the match. I feel like this should have been Osprey owning him in the finish, you know. Because yeah. Skrull has been owning him, but the idea is that he's breaking the streak. Well, you break it by owning him, I think. You or know? like uh, Skrull's like, like pride one time leads he, to his downfall. There's only going to be one time that he... It's like when Tommy Dreamer finally beat Raven, he didn't beat him with an inside cradle. He got him up in a DDT position, yelled out EC fucking W, DDT'd him and got the pin. Like, that's what that's what Will Ospreay should have got his version of looking Marty Skrull in the face and like being like, I'm beating you. And then yeah. finishes him with something. That's how I would do it, you know. Mm. If you're going for epic, and I feel, and this is like a really long match for a juniors match. It's like half an hour, I think. Yes, or at least it felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't, I, well, I wouldn't quite go that far with the pacing, but I would say that I, I do. Well, it was, t- I it do... was a lot slower a match than Will Ospreay usually does, and that was intentional. Yeah, because it was I do... at a skill pace, not an Osprey pace. Yeah, I do agree with you that the finish is a bit sudden, uh, and there are different ways of doing it. And the fact that the best bit of like Jeopardy, or the, the bit of Jeopardy that looked the most meaningful, was the unintentional yeah. one, yeah, rather than the intentional one. Yeah, 
Yeah. It, and it they just... didn't even adapt to that. Like I say, it was still that Will Ospreay was in control at that point, even though he nearly broke his neck and was bleeding. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they worked into it a little bit. Where Skrull like tries to target the cut for like a hot well, second. Well, I think it's more just he's targeting the neck, isn't it? Which is around where his head is. Yeah, well, it's the side of the head. I think he does aim a couple of rabbit punches to it. But oh, that's... Yeah, also, we got we got a funny. Uh, I think we've only seen this in one Joshi match when uh, Skrull does the pile driver, but he does it from a kneeling. He does it into a kneeling position. Yes, it's not a sit out. It was a curious little thing. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, well, it's a great way of like. Making sure and I do protect- like how Osprey's kick out at that point. It was like degrees of kick out, and that was him barely getting a shoulder up. I think Skull didn't have him fully covered at that stage. Like maybe he was doing a cocky pin. I'd never make a note of it, but yeah, it wasn't like a cocky cocky pin, but it wasn't like the tightest of covers. Yeah. So I don't have any further notes on this one. I don't know if you're the same, so no, no. Uh, I- I've pretty much said my big piece, uh, yeah. and we both had the same big piece, and that was really the end of this match. I liked it a lot. But I'm no, I'm not close to giving it five stars personally. Yeah, likewise. Um, it told a decent story. Uh, I think it told a good it... story. I just think it whiffed the finish. Oh yeah, that's what it I was said. The Game I, of yeah. Thrones of wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, did, uh, I just think you should have worked the cut more as well. I like, don't, no, I, don't, a... I think that's like no, I don't think that's necessarily an issue. Uh, maybe they have a no blood policy in New Japan as well, so you can't really do that, you know? Yeah, that's true. they don't true. really do. No one blades really in a New Japan match. True. I, I just subscribe to the theory, if, if if life has given you lemons in a wrestling format, you've got to make lemonade. Just just improvise. Maybe, work they, with maybe they weren't aware of the rules and were worried to do it, or maybe they were aware of the rules and knew they couldn't do it. Yeah, so I don't yeah. think you can necessarily no, I, I, hold that to them. No, no, no I, I, I get where you're coming from. I'm just thinking, like... That's Dream just, scenario, yeah, or broad strokes. You know? But I think that's just a complaint about the wrestling industry in general and how it's all so very thoroughly mapped out now instead yeah. of them being allowed to adapt or being able necessarily to adapt. Yeah. You know, it's not like that's a new thing either. Ricky Steamboat, well, Randy Savage famously loved to plan his matches out on like a spreadsheet, not a spreadsheet, but like... A, <laughs> oh, brother, I got this Microsoft Excel. Oh, yeah. You heard of conditional formatting? Ooh. Step into a pie chart! Ooh, yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I don't understand this frozen pain shit. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That would be br- That's something, isn't it? Randy Savage in a day to day situations. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand, brother. The items are in the begging area. <laughs> Welcome to the UK tax office. What would you like to do today? Change tax code, brother! That was slightly piratey. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm, I'm very aware that some people... Thinking, thinking the Maybe the train timetables need to be adapted if you're not going to hit your targets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Your reserved seating plans are unworkable, brother. Like a match with the Ultimate Warrior. I'm going to stop. Let's stop this. Uh, I think we've got a new podcast series, so... <laughs> my vocal cords could not take that. <laughs> Anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe teach you some vocal ticks and tricks to get away with 
doing Randy Savage impressions? What can they do? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free, free from the number of strepsils I will be having to take after this recording finishes. Very good. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for adenoids, N for nodules. That's Love my it. Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. We've got a show podcast email address, which is lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle. And uh, let, look up, let me tell you something on Facebook. What have we got for our next match, Simon? Because it's a bit of a one-two punch coming up today, uh, coming up with our next two episodes. Oh, yes. Uh, we are going to the start of the NXT New Orleans card. I think it's New Orleans, yes, because it's the one before WrestleMania. Yeah. I lose track of where they all are. But I don't lose track of the participants of this, as it's the uh, inaugural match for the North American Championship, as Lars Sullivan takes on Adam Cole, who takes on Ricochet, who takes on Killian Dane, who takes on EC3, who takes on Velveteen Dream in a ladder match. Significant. Now, I think we've only had... Yes, go on, sorry. One other ladder match, uh, also a WWE incarnation, and that was all the way back at WrestleMania 10. So this is nearly, this is 24 years later. And an interesting madness. And an interesting story. I've heard that he was either the producer or a significant contributor to this match backstage was one Shawn Michaels. And also another interesting tidbit: this is the one and only time where two five-star matches happen on the same show love that ricochet reference there as well i don't think that was intentional but i'm gonna highlight it anyway well well well, you know i'm i'm a wit (laughs) or at least i'm halfway there way but anyway uh, i don't think there's anything left to say at this point other than for those keeping track at home that's lars sullivan one daniel bryan nil oh christ and (laughs) John Laurinaitis 2. <laughs> <laughs> you must be unbearable at, like, Thanksgiving. I think we've already crossed that. We, we already have, but I'm just, I, again, it Randy must Savage, Randy Savage leading an intervention. Look, you're Johnny boy. You've just got to have an understanding for social graces. Yeah. <laughs> no one talks unless they have the talking hat. Hat. <laughs> Crown. Crown would have been better. Bollocks. Never mind. Well, no, that was my macho king era, brother. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there's nothing left to say, except you might not believe it, but that wasn't Randy Savage. I'm Lorcan <laughs> Mullen. And I'm Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. How can it be? Your gift to me. You're like